Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. So here we go. Um, I'm back up to bat, and we're on lesson five of this first series. I'm not going to climb tonight. I'm not, but here's our illustration, okay? Um, I want us to look at Matthew 5 together again, and this week I'm going to read it in the New Century Version, which is probably going to sound pretty different to you, but that's the point. So here we go. They are blessed who realize their spiritual poverty, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. They are blessed who grieve, for God will comfort them. They are blessed who are humble, for the whole earth will be theirs. They are blessed who hunger and thirst after justice, for they will be satisfied. They are blessed who show mercy to others, for God will show mercy to them. They are blessed whose thoughts are pure, for they will see God. They are blessed who work for peace, for they will be called God's children. They are blessed who are persecuted for doing good, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And so tonight we soldier on through the Beatitudes and we realize that each one, the assignment gets a little more difficult, a little more weighty and and is why we have intentionally used this illustration in hopes that it clearly communicates to you that the way that Jesus taught these things was with the idea that one builds upon the other. And so now that we have covered mercy and the need for it and God's requirement of it, we're really going to need Jesus to help us with this next one. But I want to give you a quote by um, Oswald Chambers, the author of My Utmost for His Highest, which is um, the author of our secondary resource for this series. I want to give you a quote by him as we begin. The Sermon on the Mount is quite unlike the Ten Commandments in the sense of its being absolutely unworkable unless Jesus Christ can remake us. So that's kind of a good news, bad news situation. Even Oswald said, guys, this is really hard. And unless the Lord helps us, we can't be any of these things. Because if we're honest about these things that we've studied, all of them go against our carnal nature. Most of them are counterintuitive. We are not naturally merciful. We're not naturally pure in heart. And leave it to Jesus to just lay the axe to the root of the tree and say, this is not how you're saved. This is what your life should reflect because you are saved. We need divine assistance in the application of these beatitudes. And I told Sister Reed in app time a few weeks ago, I said, I'm so glad you're teaching on mercy. I'm about to get real personal here. Because that is not one of my strong suits in my life. This is one of the ways God works in my life is for me to understand that the reason, one of the reasons why I struggle with mercy is because I'm a firstborn girl. I got Norman and Jeannie their first round of being a parent, and it was straighten up and fly right. I got disciplined for everything, and praise God for it. I'm not bitter. I'm thankful. I needed all of it, 
But what I've got to understand about me is that I have a tendency to just expect people to straighten up, fly right, do what you're supposed to do. And the Holy Spirit has nudged me to say, Kristen, that's not a fair expectation from everybody. And what I've come to realize is God is working on me in this way is God has shown me the reason you struggle with that is because you don't give yourself a lot of mercy. And so I lay myself on the altar and humiliate myself, spiritually speaking, as your pastor to confess all of that to you, to just make the point that this is how God's spirit wants to work in our lives. That I don't just read the Bible and put it down and forget what God has shown me. But that as God brings up his word again in my life in real time, in real situations and struggles that I'm having, the spirit of God will nudge me to say, stop that. Do you know why you act like that? Because if our hearts are open to that kind of correction, God will certainly give it. Amen. In fact, he guarantees it. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. I want to point out something to you for your understanding. That the Greek word used there for comforter is parakletos, which means to help or to assist. Again, that word comfort, just like we talked about in a few Beatitudes ago, does not mean what we assume it to mean. But what Jesus is saying is that his spirit within us wants to help us, to coach us, to mentor us, if you will. It's so much bigger than just comforting us and encouraging us once again. But Jesus is saying, my spirit is within you to help you in your everyday life as we're trying to climb this ladder. The Lord has promised to help us. Amen. And so we certainly need him to do that with this next one. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A really tough assignment, but with a fantastic promise. Okay, so we can do this. We want to do this. I want to see Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's, let's begin by acknowledging that the Bible has a lot to say about our hearts. A lot to say about the condition of our hearts and that God is aware and concerned about the condition of our hearts. I'm going to read a lot of verses to you because that will do the work. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't go to verse 10, but it's a good one. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. I think it's important to understand that the book of wisdom, Proverbs, has a great deal to say about the fact that God alone knows our hearts. There's wisdom in having this understanding. Proverbs 15, 11, hell and destruction are before the Lord. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men, oh God, help us, Jesus. Chapter 17, verse 3, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Chapter 21, verse 2, 
Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Oh, how true it is. But the Lord weighs the hearts. David understood this. And he was a man after God's own heart. David understood that his heart needed to be clean before God. You know these verses, Psalms 24, verses 3 and 4. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Many times, David would plead with God, clean my heart. Help me. You see what's wrong, God. Take it away from me. Psalms 51, have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, and you know it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Is anyone else feeling overwhelmed and convicted? Well, I am. Because I've had a long time to process this. Jesus, help me. So let's break down this beatitude by asking three important questions to make sure that we understand what Jesus is asking of us and what he is promising us in this verse. Number one, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Number two, how do we become pure in heart? And number three, what does it mean that those who are pure in heart will see God? That's the part I'm most interested in. Give me the motivation, God. Okay. We can do this because Jesus has promised to help us. What does it mean to be pure in heart? It simply means to have a clean heart. I think you know that. But today, in studying a a particular commentary, I found something very interesting that I wanted to share, that this phrase, pure of heart, had a very specific meaning when Jesus is doing this teaching. In fact, in ancient Greece, this idea of having a pure heart actually meant straightness and honesty. And this idea that they had back then had two basic applications, that one, you were Um, pure morally, that inside you were a pure person. And we understand that according to the law, it was very specific the way the children of Israel were taught. Cleanliness, holiness, purity was something that was a theme throughout the Old Testament. I I mean, God even told them what to do after they made animal sacrifices. This was very important to God, this idea of inward purity. And throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus repeatedly challenges this idea that you can do what's right outwardly and remain wrong inwardly. So it's much more than just an inner moral purity. And it's consistent with the verses that we just read in the Old Testament that God knows the heart. He proves the heart. He tries the heart because both matter to him. Remember Jesus's illustration when he calls out the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 25. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed 
and self-indulgence. So there's that idea of moral purity on the inside. But the second idea the Greeks had about this heart, pure heart was that those who are pure in heart have a single undivided devotion. Isn't that interesting? And for us, it would be devotion to God. Isn't it Jesus who said that no man can serve two masters? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And so we see the broadness of Jesus' call to us to not just be um, morally pure on the inside, but that we would live our lives in total devotion to him. Again, I'm going to give you a quote from Charles Spurgeon that I think is so good. Christ was dealing with men's spirits with their inner and spiritual nature. He did this more or less in all the Beatitudes, but this one that we're talking about tonight strikes the very center of the target. Jesus says not blessed are the pure in language or the pure in action, but much less, he doesn't even say blessed are the pure in ceremonies, in raiment or in food, but blessed are the pure in heart. Only Jesus gets to the root of things like this. But so let's move now to the second question that we've posed. How do we become pure in heart? The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, addresses this in chapter three, verse, chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And again, I wanted to make sure I understood what that word keep means because I think it's very compelling it means to watch and to guard it also means to look at and to examine it sounds like true repentance doesn't it like everything Jesus is asking us to do here in the Beatitudes our total cooperation and our effort is required in this process of the Beatitudes Jesus did not say the perfect in heart. That is really good news. Oh, thank God. We can work on the purity thing every day. We can work on it. But perfection, I don't know. That word is in the Bible, perfect. But most of the time, it's just talking about maturity, to be clear. So thank God for that. But the Bible lets us know throughout its pages that the condition of our hearts matters to God and that we can do something about it. Jesus cleans us up. He forgives us. But it's our responsibility to keep it clean, to be diligent, to be watchful over the condition of our hearts. And so here's the one I want to talk about. What does it mean that those who are pure in heart will see God? With every beatitude we've talked about, we've understood that there is a present fulfillment of what Jesus promises. It's not just talking about heaven, although it certainly is. But we're not just talking about the pure in heart get to go to heaven. I know I've believed that before. But when you really study the context of what Jesus is talking about, you are quick to realize Jesus is saying, we will see God right now. And I want to see God right now. All right? So I'm going to give you an answer to this. It's very simple. It's very powerful. 
But what Jesus is saying in that is that it is only the pure who can see God in the everyday. That it is required, that purity is what is going to enable us to recognize God's work in our lives, in the lives of other people. Those things are going to be hidden from us if we are not pure in our hearts. In Paul's letter to Titus, he gives us some important insight into this beatitude. And I want to share it with you here in Titus 1. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Oh God. They profess to know God. Oh, here it is. But in works, they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Wow, that's some really harsh Really specific teaching by our brother Paul. And so let me give you some quick context because we'll get a lot more out of it if we can understand that Paul is addressing a situation like he did in the epistles, right? These are letters that Paul writes to different pastors to encourage them, to give them the direction they need to handle church issues and problems. And there was a problem in Titus's church. And so Paul is coaching his son in the gospel, Pastor Titus here. Because there were some troublemakers in Titus's church. Can you believe it? It even happened in the New Testament. Praise God. And so Paul is talking about these people and he's saying, you know what, Titus, the people that you're dealing with right now will never be satisfied with what you're doing, with what other people are doing. You will never do enough because their hearts are impure. Paul is essentially saying, Titus, these people talk like Christians, but they don't act like Christians. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, not the pure in actions, not the pure in speech. It wasn't enough, even though Paul acknowledges they talk like Christians, and yet their actions were an indication that their hearts were impure. And if you study this, it, you get the impression that whoever these troublemakers are, number one, they're in the church. That's very important to understand. And they had a very lofty opinion of themselves. And because they didn't, they didn't have mercy and gentleness for everybody else. And we're causing all kinds of problems. And to me, this is so challenging because it's about to get really real right here. As I've prayed and processed this concept of purity of heart, the Lord has helped me to see a couple of things that I have never thought of as indications of impurity. And we see them right here in these verses in Titus. One is cynicism, and the other is negativity. Oh God. Others would include unbelief, even fear, But I want to focus on cynicism and negativity because we don't talk about that a whole lot in the church. But again, this this wretched world that we live in, it's getting more difficult by the day to not be cynical. To not assume the worst about everything and everyone. And yet it is people like that that Paul is calling out to young Titus. Because there were people just like that in the church. 
And there's a lot that I could say right now, a lot of directions I could go, a lot of maybe feathers I could ruffle, but this is what I want you to know, is that Jesus wasn't a cynic. All of this is about being like him. And so for me to be pure in heart means I'm not cynical because Jesus wasn't about anyone or anything, and he certainly had every reason to be. Jesus wasn't even negative, and he knew all things. So to bring it down to where we're living tonight, if we struggle in these ways, my friends, and I know that I do and I have, it is a clear indication, according to the word of God, that there is impurity in our hearts. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. That's what Paul wrote. And so it could be sin, it could be bitterness, it could be unforgiveness, it could be self-righteousness, and so we got to go to the bottom of the ladder and work our way back up to say, God, I'm sorry. The reason why I'm a cynic is because I'm self-righteous, I've forgotten the grace I've received, I haven't been given mercy to other people, I haven't had gentleness in my spirit, so naturally, I'm going to be a mean person. If I don't get these other things right, I thought all day and begged God for an illustration for the pure in heart. And this is what I came up with. You're going to laugh. Disney. Disney is a magical, wonderful place because it brings us to a place of the innocence of our childhood. Preaching, brother. Hallelujah. God's calling me to the kingdom. And it's why, Sarah, you know, you got the revelation recently. It's why you'll sell plasma and organ, whatever you got to do to pay the mouse to get in. Because I'm not saying Disney's a pure organization. I know better. But look, there Kate and I are worshiping. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're at Disney World. We're praising the Lord. We're not praising Walt, I assure you. But what the magic of Disney is that it brings you to a state of childlike wonder and purity. That you can walk in those gates a total cynic, and my God, even the unbelievers walk out with ears. I haven't got Tom some yet. He hasn't crossed over that far. He's come a long way in 20 years, I'll tell you that much. But that is the wonder of the magic kingdom, is that it transports us to a state of mind that we had as a child, where we weren't cynical about everything and everyone. Because Disney, that atmosphere, makes you think about all that is good in your life and the things that are right in your world. And I believe that that is a great illustration of what Jesus is talking about to say that if he is in our lives, we can live our life with that kind of purity that a child does, that just believes the best about everything and everyone, wants the best, is hopeful, is joyous, is excited about life. Jesus is saying if you can get to that state of mind, that purity of heart, you will see me every day. In everything that happens, you'll be able to see 
where I am. And so Spurgeon gives us three ways, and I I thought they were so good. I wanted to share them with you as we get to our app time. Three ways in which we can see God if we can keep our hearts pure. Are you ready? Okay. The first one is in nature. That seems obvious, but man, that is so true. That if we get our hearts right with God, we see him everywhere, literally. He can talk to us through the simple things of his creation, and we feel closer to him. Why? Because there's something about the outdoors, the purity of that experience, taking in God's creation. You feel him close, and you can see him if you want to. And it's a whole lot easier to do that when your heart is right with God. I I thought about, you know, that's the reality of when you're fasting, Is it just me or does God speak in stereo when you're on a fast? I can hear him. I can see him. I can can think of things. I can remember things. That fasting just gives me that clarity. Why? Because it's helping me make my heart pure. It's purging me of all the filth and negativity that has kept me from seeing God when he's been there all the time. He's been talking this whole time, but when I go on a fast, then all of a sudden, well, there he is, I can hear. I'm tuned into that frequency of his. The second way is in scripture. And I know this seems obvious to you, but let me, let me kind of bring it out a little bit. That a great test of the condition of our hearts is how we interact with the word of God. Do we love the word of God? Do we look forward to reading it, to hearing it taught? Are we excited about the word of God, what the word of God has to say? Because if we're not, for whatever reason, if we're avoiding it or we're critical of whoever's teaching or whatever's happening, is that an indication that there is some kind of impurity in our hearts? Because again, in the scriptures, we should be able to see God clearly if our hearts are pure. And then the last thing, which I think is the hardest one, is seeing God in the church. Well, sometimes that's hard. And it doesn't take long for people to realize, oh, not everyone here is completely saved like I thought. I mean, the devil doesn't even have to teach people that stuff. It's... It's obvious just because the church is full of imperfect people. But I want to challenge us tonight that if we find ourselves at some point being cynical about God's people, and I'll tell you, if you're on social media, it's real easy to feel that way. We can be certain that there's a heart issue associated with it. There's no hurt like church hurt. Nothing can debilitate you spiritually like friendly fire from people in the church. And yet, the church is Christ's bride. It is the, that, that word, that idea of a bride speaks of such affection and such importance. And so I beg you that if there is something in you that you're critical of what goes on in the church, maybe here locally, maybe nationally, I don't know what it is, but if you find yourself being critical, feeling very negative towards the church in general, or maybe even to this local church, I beg you, according to what Jesus is saying, 
please ask the Lord to examine your heart and help you see why you aren't excited about the church the way you used to be. Because he is in the church. You can see him. You can watch him work. You can work alongside of him. But you are not going to be able to do that completely if we are impure in our hearts. Amen. And so I want to conclude this and then we're going to do our app time. When I started studying the Beatitudes last fall, what really struck me was that Jesus' teaching has never been more relevant than it is in the world that we live in. All of these things that Jesus is asking us to do and be the world is desperate and in need of us to be all of these things. And so, you know, it's easy to get discouraged and say, God, the world is so dark, but the light shines brighter the darker it is. And so if you at any point in this series feel condemned or overwhelmed or just want to check out, this is too hard, I cannot begin to do any of this, it's against my nature, I'll never be merciful, Jesus help me. If you can't find the motivation within yourself, then find the motivation with the fact that you want to be the light of the world and you want to help someone else see Jesus. Because if you want to know how to do that, this list tells you exactly how to be the light of the world. Amen. I think about precious sister Marilyn. I met a lady last night. I had never seen her before in my life. And so I had to know, how did you know Marilyn? And she said, well, I was her and Huey's waitress at Izzy's for years. Not surprising at all, is it? That she could leave that kind of impact on a waitress. She said she talked about this church all the time. She told me she came to dad's funeral. Like that's how much of an influence Marilyn had on her life. And we know Marilyn. She didn't. She wasn't putting on airs. We knew she had troubles. She had trials. She wasn't perfect. She talked about that all the time. And yet she was so determined to live for Jesus. Whatever it took, she kept trying. She kept reaching. And her example has left such a bright light in our lives still. Even though she is no longer here. Amen. And so I want to give you one more quote. And we're going to get to our question. Charles Spurgeon says this. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live. When the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. Amen. I want that. I want that. All right, so here's your question for app time. I gave you a good illustration with Marilyn, but who do you think of when you consider what it means to be pure in heart and why? So if you're sent by your spouse, I don't know. Good luck with that. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) All right, so let us think about it. Who is it that comes to mind and why? I want you to process. What does it look like being pure in heart? All right, so here we go.
All right. Good discussion. I'll invite you to stand with me. I want to let you out on time. But just quickly, to bring it all home as we go to pray, we have to keep working on this purity of heart thing. This is much more than just the repentance that's a part of the plan of salvation. But we have to work at it. We have to be quick to repent. We have to be quick to forgive. We're always going to have to take inventory and let the Spirit of God challenge us because He will. He will prompt us. If, if we're prayerful, He'll nudge us and say, unacceptable. <laughs> Go fix that. You need to do better. You need to work on this particular thing. That, that's what it means for Him to be our comforter. For Him to assist us and help us in that way. And so I want you to just pray with me. And maybe if you don't want to pray out loud because it's very personal, that's fine and I respect that. But I would wish you would join me in asking God if there is any cynicism in my heart about anything, anybody, not just your church, but anything in my life. There any root of just of negativity, of, of maybe a, just a criticism that I walk around with, this chip on my shoulder. If, if that is me in any scenario, God, show me that about myself and help me get to the root of it as to why have I do I have unforgiveness in my heart am I bitter about something what is it that makes me feel that way because it's a guarantee it's something that is impure it is something that is not like Jesus because Jesus knew everything about everyone and somehow he loved everybody and so that is the standard that is the bar for us to reach, to love as he loves, to forgive like he forgives. And he's going to have to show us how to do it. He's going to have to help us, and he will. And so let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for your word. Even though it, it can be so challenging, God, it can step on our toes and, and get in our face. God, I thank you that you love us enough to challenge us in these ways. You, you want to help us, Lord. You're not just our Savior. You're not just our teacher. You want to be both. You want to save us from our sins, and then you want to teach us how to live better lives. And so, God, I just pray if there's anything in me, God, that, that motivates just a negative outlook, if there's any cynicism in my heart towards your church, towards people, towards life in general, God, I know that that is not like you, and I want to be like you. And so, God, whatever it is, I pray you'd show it to me. I pray you'd help me to be better, that my heart would be pure, God, that I would keep it diligently, that I would guard it, that I would be careful, God, with the thoughts I entertain, the things that I say. God, I want to work on this purity thing because I want to be like you, and I want to see you in the everyday. I want to see you working around me. I want to be a part of what you're doing in the earth. And so it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. 
you can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.